You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 104. 104, two, two years that we have been doing it. That started to say 200. I mean, I guess it seems like a long time. Uh, we have been doing this for two two straight years. That's kind of a crazy, kind of a milestone. Definitely a milestone. Definitely interesting to see um, the progression of the podcast. I mean, could you imagine if we went back and listened to some of those episodes we didn't even post when we were still practicing, just how far the podcast has come? It's kind of weird to think back, like, when I, we first started doing this, it was just so awkward to talk into a mic, so awkward just to do any and everything, and I remember just going back and listening to it and just being like, there's no way I could be this bad. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong. I still go back and listen to it. I still think, I'm like, how can I be this bad? But still way better than I was back then. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, like I said, it's interesting to see the progression. Not saying we're out here killing it, but from where we started, it's been a long road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember the first one we did, we recorded, and at the end of it, I was like, oh, that was awful. You're like, that had to have been an hour. I was like, how long has it been? I was like, we did 12 minutes. That was 12 minutes. <laughs> Oh, God. You played a bunch of poker this week, though. I guess we'll get right I, into it, huh? I've been playing so much damn poker, man. Uh, I have been... Well, you know... So, for a long time, I was like... I kind of played... And this is a very beginner way to do it, is like kind of static ranges. But it's just... I mean, it kept... It, one of those things that kind of worked, but... You know, so I just kind of stuck to it for a long time. I've been playing way more by position because you're just like you can play static ranges and win in Texas because it's easy games, but I think you are definitely capped when you go to places like Las Vegas and stuff like that. And since I really did that, I'm actually play playing a lot more hands from the hijack cutoff button. Uh, we ta- already talked about like doing like a small limping range from button and cutoff. So I've just been able to play more hands. It's made it poker a little bit more enjoyable, too. So I, I kind of got a renewed kind of enjoyment because I kind of get burnt out at times. But lately, I've been, I've, I haven't been burnt out. I've really started enjoying poker a lot more again. And so I've been playing so many sessions. Uh, let's go. Well, let me start off this because I have, I have an interesting, I have two interesting hands I kind of want to hear your, your thoughts on. So I'm playing at 101 Katie, right? And this is basically my first big hand I get involved in. Um, I get ace queen, uh, sorry, king queen offsuit in under the gun plus two. Okay. Um, let's see. I bet $20 preflop and I get three callers. I like all of this. Okay. Um, the flop comes king of spades, queen of spades, six of diamonds. So you have three callers, so there should be 80 to the pot, correct? Yes. Okay. I, how much are you betting here? I'm just, I mean, this one-third pot size bet has been something that ever since I've started it, and granted, I mean, you should deviate away from it here and there, uh, but when you have the board this covered, I do like the smaller bet. 
Uh, I think I probably bet maybe a little more than that. I mean, I'd probably bet 30 would be a little bit more than pot, uh, third pot size, but probably 30 is where I'd go. I ended up going with 35. Uh, I like that. That's still good. Um, the first guy just flats. The second guy goes all in for, let's see, for 125. The next guy folds and it's back to me. What are you doing here? How deep is the guy who called you? He covers me. And um, we have 300 more effective. He covers you and y'all have 300 more effective. The player went all in for 130. I think I'm going to Well, you have equity. Like he could have he could have equity with spades. He could have equity with jack 10. I'm probably just going to jam it and get it all in here. Oh man, I'm happy to hear that we're on the same page with this. Yeah, I was going to call and let him and kind of see if I can let him in for that, but there are kind of a lot of cards. You're super strong, but there are a lot of cards on the turn that kind of make this harder to play, which makes me think that if you can jam it and get him out and he loses all equity or he calls and you just, you're just you just good here almost all the time, I think both are good. So I like the jam. I jam. He snap calls. So now we're going three ways. Um, I turn over my hand. No one else turns over their hand. The turn is a brick. The river is a six pairing the board. So I was like, well, now I lose like aces. Yeah, but aces should never show up here for the pre-flop action. They didn't. Um, pocket sixes did, though, for rivered quads. I mean, definitely not something I'm really concerned with right there. So, yeah, it's a... Uh... Well, that's hurtful. Uh, like, who had the river quads? The guy who flatted the first bet. So, so the one who had ever, all the money. Yep, of course. So I get felted there. I mean, well, you're, I mean, you flop top two pair, and you know, well, I guess really in all, he had a set regardless. So I mean, it's not like the river quads really mean anything. Oh, 100 percent. Uh, so, but I mean, you flop two pair to a set, top two, and a kind of a draw heavy board. I think. If you're folding ever, then people can just get away with murder, like bluffing you. So I think that just is what it is. That's good. I'm happy to hear that because after a hand like that, it's very hard not to be results oriented. Yeah, I think that was played actually pretty well. I don't. I don't really have any any issues with that one. It's that's just a cooler. Uh, well, so then the game kind of carries on. Um, I end up getting pretty short stacked down to like a hundred dollars. Okay. And I end up like getting it all in like I mean, so light is like king four suited when there's a bunch of uh limpers. Okay. And um one guy just goes all in over the top of me to get all the limpers out and he has uh two four offsuit. And I double up there and just kind of really make a pretty big comeback here, right? That's pretty nice. So I I double up maybe two or three times, kinda like that. Okay. And um I'm back to about 600 in my stack for this hand. Okay. Um, so on a pretty good roll here. Um, but here's the hand that, um, well, the first hand I guess really defined the session, but this is the last real key hand. We're playing four handed. I'm on the button with two, four suited. Okay. And what, what's your action here when folded to? 
I'm raising this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that say this is too light. Uh, there's a lot of times I'm going to take down the blinds and just get free money. Uh, when I am called, I'm going to be in position uh, with kind of a disguised hand that has high implied odds. I mean, this is a hand like on the actual button. I'm just raising this. I think this is a profitable play. Okay, so I do raise it to, it was either 15 or 10. I can't remember what the standard size was four-handed. I imagine you raise it to 15, right? That's kind of the norm for 1-3, right? Well, we were, yeah, man, it had to have been. Yeah, we're pretty deep here. Yeah, okay. I'm sure it was 15. Um, I was kind of playing with my sizes that session because I was so short so so often in that, in that session. Okay. That whenever you're only $200 effective, you don't really need to make it that big to get you, all the money in. I agree. That is, that's, that's a good point. But, um, but here you go. Here, here's the hand for you. Um, I have six, four, sorry, two, four, <laughs> I have the wrong notes out, but it's fine. I'll tell you right from what I remember. Okay. So I make it 15. I get two callers. Okay. The flop comes two four queen with a flush draw available. Uh not well obviously not your flush yeah, draw. Not, you can't have it. Uh okay. That's great flop for you. Checks to me, I down bet. Um I think I do like same bet. Fifteen again. I don't mind this. This is uh I think this is something I might do out of habit. I think with this exact hand, you can size up though. Well, actually, this is gonna that the fact that it's, there's so many cards is gonna make it weird. No, I've already talked myself back into a down bet. I was thinking I was like, if somebody has a queen, then they're always calling and the random. I mean, the random two pairs, like if it's a ten, a jack, or a nine, or something like that, is kind of tough. But also, there's probably a good point to have some pot control regardless. So, yeah, I like, I like your bet. So, I down bet and I get one call. And let me kind of describe this player to you just before um, to kind of paint the picture. It's a player who's been playing very tight, um, really not getting mixed up in many hands, but we're very deep here. Okay. Um, the turn is a five. So, now the board is queen, deuce, four, five. No, the flush draw obviously does not come in. Correct. Flush okay. draw does not come in. Um, are you still betting here? 100%. Okay. I bet 25. Let me see. It was 15, 30, 45. Let's say you bet 15. I like a much bigger bet here. Well, I get raised. Hmm. I like a check now. Uh, <laughs> um, I get raised to 75. So you bet 25, you get raised to 75. I, and I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, what could he? So it'd be like, it's like ace, ace three is a straight, right? And three six is a straight. He, right. But other than that, he could just be on a queen because he's been playing mainly Broadway type cards, right? I think I have to call here. I mean, I just don't know. So. You have two four, so you're blocking the sets. Like you say, there are some, there is some kind of weird straights out there. Pocket queens are never available, usually due to pre-flop action, because in a 
shorthanded game, even tight players will three bet. Oh, that. I mean, this guy. I mean, he was playing tight, but not like crazy tight. Playing more, I would just say, is like probably more correct. I mean, queen five would be very random. I don't know. I mean, there's just not that many hands out here. When people take this line, I'm not sure what you're good against, but I feel like you're a little too strong to fold here. Mm-hmm. Um, the river is a six, bringing a four-liner, so any three makes a straight. But the front door flush bricks. Are you still calling a bet here? He bets 100. So he bets a hundred. So preflop action was four. The pot was forty-five. Then you bet fifteen, making that thirty seventy-five. Uh, and then it's another seventy-five on the turn, and you're seventy-five. So we're looking at one fifty two twenty-five. He bets a hundred. This is such a crazy line. I mean, if he took, let's say he could turn open-ended with a three, and then the it gets there. I mean, I don't know. This is, I mean, I think it's one of those things. This is such a weird line that if I'm getting odds, I think I'm just going to have to call this off. Well, like I said, I mean, happy to hear all on the same page. I call it off. He actually turned the straight with the 6-3. Didn't need the 6. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't think you can really get away from that. That's just that's a little too results-oriented to say, like, you can – like, that his raise on the turn is just – I will say in low-limit poker, when this raise on the turn is almost always value, but you need some type of calling range, or else you could just get bullied off of anything, right? I mean, you and I mean two pair and a heads-up pot, I would say, is pretty. I mean, I, my thought in the hand was, like, I could see him doing this with, you know, his mediocre queens, queen 10, queen jack, queen 10 he raises, but, you know, sorry, did I say queen 10? Queen, king queen he raises, I would think. But maybe like a top pair trying to defend against a flush draw, a straight draw kind of thing was what I was thinking in the moment. And then I was thinking maybe now that the flush bricked that he might be, well, I guess, I don't know. Like when your story changes halfway through the hand, that's when you normally lose the hand. But um, <laughs> whatever you think what he's representing changes. Yeah. and I mean, trust me, I just went through this. So, I mean, definitely can see that going on. Uh but I just, okay, so my, I mean, I guess, like, let's say hindsight, the argument is I don't think a king queen or queen 10 or queen jack is ever doing that. I just, there's no reason. Like, once you do that, you're just not getting called by a lot of hands that you're beating. Uh, I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of your top pair are just going to call that turn. So, I mean, it's one of those things. I'm not real certain what you're hoping for. It's just in one of those weird spots where you're fairly strong here. So, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't really don't know what the correct action is. I definitely do think I call there, though. I think you're just too strong in a heads-up pot to just uh, sit there and assume someone hit a, straight, hit a random straight there. Yeah, especially forehand. I was thinking, what are the chances? But yeah, whatever they were, they came in. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think this is just kind of a cooler the way it is. And then his bet sizing on the river, just it's good bet sizing for me. I mean, when you're when the line is kind of weird and not making a lot of sense, and I'm getting very good odds, I think I'm just gonna call, and he's gonna he's gonna get there when he d- happens to hit that random crazy card. He's just gonna get paid on that that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. That, that was a pretty rough session for me. Um, but, you know, coming back from $100 to cashing out for like 300 and, you know, like 30 was pretty nice. It was a kind of a bummer to, you know, get sunk that last hand right before I left. Yeah. You know, because I, I was almost back to even before that hand. Oh, I mean, that's always a, nice to make a fairly big comeback like that. Yeah, but I was definitely thinking I was going to be out for two bullets uh, when I was looking at $100. It's uh, well, uh, not not too bad. Kind of an interesting session for you. I'll tell you what, you were on the other table because we were at 101 Katie at the same day on here. And i tell you what, my table was one of the more fun tables I've been a part of in a long time. Uh, everybody was super fun to play with. Uh, we had a game going on where there was a cup on the button. And everybody put $5 on the button in their cup. And only the small blind could win it. So it was just encouraging action from the small blind. Uh, and it was getting pretty big. We had that going on. Everybody's joking and laughing. Just a really good table to be a part of. Uh, I did, as far as interesting hands, uh, there's one I do like How what this kind of... Uh, I like hands that kind of represent something that you should or shouldn't do. Usually in my case, a lot of times shouldn't. But it's uh, one way or the other. Uh, I have ace five of clubs. The straddles on the button. There's two calls. There's a raise to twenty two, and then a call. This hand, are you in the small blind? Is that what you're fighting for? That cup, the the button prize, or whatever? No, this is before. This was early in the session, so that's not going on yet. Okay, I just thought that was okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm no, that's now. super relevant. Uh, I call in the cutoff, and then there's one more call. So we're going three ways to a flop. Of king seven three with two clubs. It checks to me, and I choose to bet forty. There are some there's some draws I will kind of check, and some I will bet. A lot of these ace high flush draws are also have the out as an ace sometimes, and a backdoor straight draw. To me, this is a really good one to turn into a bluff. I bet forty, and there's one call. The Turn is a five of diamonds. It checks to me. A lot of times, I am going to check this back, getting some showdown value. But the problem is, is most things that are called me are not gonna. They're gonna have a five beat. I choose just to kind of use this as an added equity and a barrel, and I bet one twenty-five. He ends up folding and shows a. He show, uh, folds a seven face up. That's a nice play. So, yeah, I was very glad to get that bluff three, which kind of put the session on a good. It's always interesting whenever, uh, or an interesting spot to, like, recognize whenever you have showdown value and don't have showdown value. It was, I think, pretty good that you recognize that that five really didn't give you much showdown value given the action in the hand and is more, like, added equity, and you recognize it's still a good spot to bluff. Yeah, uh, that's. I'm not always great at that, so I'm glad to hear that from you. It's like a, not, it's not my strong suit, but 
but I, I am glad to hear that I was able to recognize in that one situation. Uh, I As far as the other notes, on the other hands, it's a lot of like top pair, top kicker, just take it down. A lot is flopping and missing. I go up quite a bit, and I end up coming back down a lot. And what I do in these scenarios a lot, I kind of protect my wins probably more than I should, but it got down to where I was up $75. And I was like, well, you know what? Let me just, especially my first game, game of the week, I just like, let me call this good. That's right. Cause I remember we talked about this on the way home whenever you were saying how like, um, so the theory is if you're winning in a game, you should keep playing, right? Right. Over the long term. That's the theory that, you know, you being up then coming back down doesn't ceases to matter mathematically that if you have an edge, you're going to win over the long term. Correct. So, yeah. but here's what you and I were talking about is what I found interesting was um, Jonathan Little brought this up too. Was just because that's the case and your hourly rate is whatever it may be. If being up a bunch of money and then coming down puts you mentally on tilt and then you're not playing your best poker because you're tilted, you know, recognizing that spot and stepping away from the table, even though mathematically you're in a great game, you have an edge so over the long term, you should win at whatever your hourly rate is. But if you're not playing your best, which would be that hourly rate, you could even be losing money if you're playing tilted, which I think is good to recognize that spot that for you personally, because, you know, like you said, me and your friend Scott, um, you know, once we get felted, then the poker begins, right? We can really kind of rally back or try to. I don't know, but <laughs> right, but um, but for you recognizing that spot and seeing that you know you're probably not playing your best, which would lower your your hourly, and leaving is, I would say, a you know pretty big edge for you, right? That you can find that spot. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. Uh, like it's one of those things. Like if you like you say, if you put a computer program that played just the way we play, let's say I average twenty bucks an hour, then I mean you. Technically, you should just be playing as many hours as possible on any given session. These swings do not matter. Problem being is we're, yeah, like you said, we're, we're just not computers. So we are going to go through mental tilt. We're going to go through, you know, ha like how our stack size is going to affect our play. Like even if you don't think so subconsciously, it's going to a little bit. So every now and then I ju I'll just kind of take the win and call it good i'm so this is one of those that yeah uh, i've noticed it works i don't think it works for everyone and some people should battle through it i've noticed this works for me way better than some of the other things i've tried right but i just i remember that that we were talking about that because you were saying that you hate to leave such a good game and i was like well I do remember Jonathan Little said things like, you know, your hourly rate or tournament rate might be whatever, but if you show up with no sleep, you show up hungry, you show up, you've been drinking, you know, earlier that day, all of a sudden your hourly rate is probably not what you think it is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, but I, I found that interesting and just found that um, if you know that you're going to start playing worse, it, I mean, might as well leave, right? Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. Well, and here's... And this is always kind of a uh, drawing, the, drawing this middle ground between, like, doing kind of what I do here and, like, but you also want to get the hours in. And what I've started doing within reason is if I'm around four to five hours, because I don't really like to play that long of sessions anyways. And if I've gotten about the hours that I want to get into and I start to get in that 
set where, you know, I was up 300, now I'm up 150 or 100 or so. A lot of times I'll just call it good at that point. Because it is a battle of, you know, getting the hours that you need in. Because you, if you're making $100, $50 an hour, I mean, having this great thing, but you're only doing two hours a week, then your upside's super limited. So there is always kind of like that battle of going in between of, like getting the hours, but like not playing tilted and all that. So I've kind of tried to find some middle ground there in my game. And only I think it's a constant process of always trying to tweak it and make it better. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, in the next two years, you'll be able to talk on the podcast about how that used to be. I don't want to say, um, you know, I wouldn't even call it a leak, but, you know, something that affected your game. And now it doesn't anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I hope so. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) We're definitely not playing this game just to stay static and not, you know, try to grow as players, right? It's it's gotten worse. (laughs) I mean, I tell you what, when I'm going through a downswing sometimes, I don't even know if I know the rules. Uh, Luckily, it's been pretty sunny skies for this year, but we're going to hope that it stays that way. Because whenever you're on top going on that upswing all you can think about sometimes is you know it's coming to an end and it's so fun right now don't let it come to an end <laughs> i just did a uh, session over at the cypress poker lounge which i really do kind of like that place it is just a really nice room just really it's uh, kind of amazing how great the rooms are and how enjoyable they are to play at it was coming from someone who played in the underground days when you're just looking at a warehouse and a bunch of criminals running it and everything. It's just gotten so good here in Houston. It is crazy whenever, um, cause back in the day you, I used to always be going to Louisiana and you were playing in the underground whenever prime opened up. I remember you were like, it's almost like Vegas now, how official the rooms are. Yeah. I, it's crazy to think. Cause that was the first one. Well, in, uh, I never played it like post Oak cause that was kind of the first, Mint in Post Oak, I think. Kind of a far drive for us, though. But this was the first one for us. Yeah, yeah. But that was exactly this is the first one that I went to, and I was like, oh god. Where I mean, it's just like the action. There was like you know, fifteen, twenty tables going on. Super nice bar. Just, just it was so cool. So it's just crazy how it's kind of come come a full circle the way it's going. Uh, so I go into Cypress Poker Lounge. I end up, I just. I'm on fire and win a couple big hands. Nothing like really podcast worthy. Just hitting really good, decent hands. I then ended up in a bomb pot in which I have the nuts and I have draws to bigger nuts. So, well, your draws are on the other board, right? So you have the nuts on one board and your draws are on the other board or is it on the same board? Well, okay. One board is eight, nine, 10 and I have queen jack. Sounds like the nuts. Uh, the other board is what was it? The queen. That oh, queen wasn't playing. It was nine ten jack with, and I have I have jack queen for open ended and top pair. Uh, and then uh, I also had second nut flush draws on both of them. So it, some player bets twenty five. The other goes to seventy five. I re raise. And then get jammed on for 700. And I'm like, well, this is what it is. My, whenever you're looking at a bomb pat, you should kind of look at what you have, what each board has, because it cuts out the combinations of hands. 
The uh, I have queen jack on one board. There's queen. There's a jack on the other board blocking other straights. So it was just a too big of a hand for me to to uh, fold. So I end up making the call. Ended up getting quartered in a huge huge pot. So I'm a little little sad about that. Tends to happen when you lose big pots. Uh, I the next hand and I will play into this sometimes is like I have ace queen. So it I'm on the button. It comes around to the cutoff. Who makes it ten? We're playing one three. I'm like, well, it's gonna. I'm gonna look, gonna look really tilted right now after losing that gigantic pot, and in uh, after being up so much, I make it forty. Uh, ends up two two end up calling. Somehow, no, I made it forty five, uh, and two end up calling. So. What was the flop? The flop was queen eight six. It checks to me. I bet forty five. You like this bet? So okay. So what do you have again? You have so ace queen and it's I have ace queen, it comes queen eight six with two hearts. I don't know. I have I think I had the ace of hearts. Um, I think it's fine bet. So uh one player folds, one player calls. The turn is a seven, so the board is now queen eight seven six. Not a turn I love. I mean, it's kind of weird for a straight to get there, but there are some straight, some gutter balls that got there, and there's a lot of two pair that got there. I check it. Not loving this card. And like you said, um, what was it? Was it Jack ten was open into the whole way, or double gutted, or no? It was uh, what would it be? Yeah, Jack ten, right? Uh, so queen eight. No, I think even that I think is a gutter ball, right? Because Jack ten needs a nine, right? Yeah, but it's so flop was eight seven, right? Eight six. Oh, gotcha. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that would be a gutter. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I did say I think when we were discussing beforehand, I did mention that, but it's yeah, I think it was just a gutter. Uh, and now thinking about it, I was in the small blind because I was acting first this entire time. So it was a button who uh, raised, and I, I three bet from the small blind. Uh, the seven I check, he bets a hundred. This, I did not love this spot. And looking back, this should just be a fold. Well, like you and I were discussing earlier, um, you know, effective stack size is pretty important on this bet. Because when I was first thinking of the hand, I thought you were about 700 effective. And then I was like, well, I don't think it's the worst when you're that deep. But then I also don't like it. I'm still super concerned. But you said you were about 200 effective, right? Or like 250, something like that. So obviously the sizing, I, I, I screwed up here and you're right. But... Is it better? Like, is it better to make this call if you're 700 deep with top pair, top kicker? I mean, if anything, now you're just playing a gigantically inflated pot with a hand that really is very unlikely to improve. Well, and here's where we're going to sound like broken records that <laughs> seem to keep losing on these situations. But we always say people could be doing this with their straight draw, flush draw combinations that. You might be too exploitably folding if you're folding for that much, and then you're that deep. I could see them, you know, making that kind of bluff 
um, you know, semi-bluff situation. But like you said, at the stakes that we play, how many people are actually doing that, which is kind of something else you have to kind of evaluate, right? That if this is for value, you're smoked, right? Yeah, I mean, just people are not doing this with like, like, okay, I have ace-queen. I mean, this would be such an overplay of king-queen-queen-jack. Almost it's, nobody's doing it's this. It's definitely not that. So, yeah, this is one that I definitely should be folding here. I'm even holding the ace of hearts. Yeah, I didn't realize that when we went over it originally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so really in all honesty, like I don't know. Well, I guess that, well, you want the ace of hearts out there because you need them to have those flush draws. So, I mean, really it's a bad card to make this call with, even from a blocker standpoint. Uh, at top pair, top kicker, this is one of those things that I just in the moment felt it was too weak to fold. Uh Looking back, and I don't think this is results-oriented at all. This should just be a fold. Uh, I make the call. The river is the seven of hearts. So now it brings the flush in. Uh, it does. I am now ahead of some weird hands like queen six, eight six, and right, stuff like but that. But like you and I discussed earlier is how much queen six and eight six are we expecting them to have in a three-bet pot? Not that many. I mean, <laughs> like the- it was the weirdest. So he he ends up. So I end up check. He ends up jamming for like three fifty. But I only have this is one of the where Tyler was going with the sizing. I now have one hundred fifty, and it's about one fifty to win six hundred with Ace Queen seven seven. So I'm just beating random queens with a kicker, and. <laughs> Exactly eight six. <laughs> well, so, well, you still beat queen six, right? So that's good. But um, I beat queen six. If he's somehow there with that. Um, and my thought on this, when I heard uh, what happened here, was um, if we're gonna call it off when the when the draw gets there, hoping that they had a draw, should we just ship it, charging the draw? If we're not, if we're never folding anyway, should we charge the flush draw that we hope he has? Um, if we're never folding. Well, I will say this. Like, I think, obviously, this just should be a fold. <laughs> right, but, I mean, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but if we're going to call, I mean, like, I think any action that I did was better than the one I did. <laughs> I mean, I don't just don't think there's anything that I could have done worse in this hand. It was just, it was just so off the rails. It was just, uh, I have no idea what was going on. Uh, yeah, it was just... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, sure. I mean, like, I think that's a bad play, too. Like, I think this is just a fold, but sure, if you're going to just be calling random everything off, I mean, I guess you can call and just hope and pray that it goes check, check. Just beg them. <laughs> stop, stop. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he ends up, I end up making the call, and he has 8 7 for a full house, for a turn two pair, rivered full house. Um, in hindsight on this hand though at least it makes sense that you kind of lost track of your stack size if it was the very next hand after the bomb pot that is true i was still i think kind of rattled from being in such a big pot and losing <laughs> I mean, that much every time after a big pot i mean i know sometimes even after i win a big pot or i mean just anytime i'm involved in a big pot like a really big one sometimes i'm hoping i don't get any good cards for the next hand i can just kind of calm down and regroup over here oh yeah it's uh so it was just 
It's just murderous. And I, and I, let me let you know, Session didn't get any better. <laughs> I immediately rebought, and nothing. I ended up getting quartered at another gigantic bomb pot. I then got Pocket Kings all in against Ace Queen. Short stack all in for like 80 bucks. Uh, flop comes all spades. I have the King of Spades. He has the Queen of Spades. So now even the Ace of Spades is, does not help him out. He's basically drawing dead and turns one of the two Aces that make him the best hand. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm just done. I mean, I, I, just uncle. I, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> so just got torched in that session, uh, which is fine. Like, I've run way above average. I realized this uh, for the last couple months. A session like this is going to happen. It's just you never want it to. <laughs> hundred percent. But, um, so that was kind of the sessions this week, but something I found that was kind of interesting that happened at one of the sessions, which I wanted to talk to you about kind of toward the end of the podcast was we, we play these games and we talk about how, um, quote unquote soft or, you know, the games can be because you know, it takes very specific players to make these games good. Right. Right. Um, we were in a game this week where a player called, you know, a giant bet and ended up rivering a better two pair than the person's flop two pair with a random ace rag, right? And um, then everyone is, not everyone, there were two players particularly at the table who were, I don't want to say needling, but kind of needling the fish, right? Okay. That's always just such a... Um, I don't want to say taboo, but it's just such a big blunder whenever you're a profitable player, right? Like, if these guys at least think they're profitable, you need that fish at the table not feeling attacked for sure. Oh, 100%. I do not get why. Well, because poker players will complain that if the games are not good enough, that, you know, like it's a tight game or whatever, then they talk about how great the games are, but complain when they lose to. Like, I don't mind fish rating fish like it just kind of is what it is i guess because nobody understands i mean it's just like watching two people that have no idea what's going on argue about something but like if it's good players berating fish i mean that's exactly what you want you don't want players who study you don't want a shitload of players who are making the exact right calls and studying and folding hands that they should be folding and it's always weird if i always see players say things like um Oh, well, I want that call every time. Well, you can think that. I'll say it to you, and we can talk about it on the podcast that, you know, you get calls and it's fine, whatever happens. But don't say it to that person. <laughs> you know, I mean, that. I mean, yeah, I, I will say this. If someone's going to berate them, I would rather them say that than just, like, tell them how shitty they are, like, all the time. I mean, you know, it's. Because I, was, I don't think fish are gonna. I don't think fish are gonna all of a sudden learn that strategy right there. That they're gonna start folding that right then and there. But it's a. Uh, but yeah, it's just say nice hand. I mean, you can be like. Don't get me wrong. I don't love getting sucked out on and losing or anything like that. It's it's. I understand how frustrating it can be, and I can understand wanting to do it. But just say nice hand, and just you know, in your mind think about how shitty the player is. <laughs> I, I mean, just, you know, like you need those players fueling your, uh, fueling your game. So it's always funny whenever like one of the regs or something says that I'll normally comment with them. Well, better player won that pot at least. <laughs> 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 so, uh, 
that old boy. Be like, if you're so good, why does he have your money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then there was another one where, you know, back uh, in the good old days at like, uh, this is actually, um, yeah, like down West Time or whatever. There's a pretty, uh, it was a pretty high stakes game at the time. Um, and there was a player that uh, I had played with the week before who made a call for, it was like, it was probably like a $6,000 pot with ace high. Just told me he's going to give him the money because they're buddies and he's going to call him even though he's like, I think you're bluffing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's like, what did he say? I think they're, he was Filipino. He was the Asian. Like, yeah. he's like, because you're Asian or something. Because yeah, I remember this at some yeah. like, I remember way back when. He goes, he goes, oh, I want to call, but I only have, it might have even been King High. Uh-huh. And he turns his cards over as King High. And I'm like, well, what are we waiting all this time for? You know, just fold, right? Right. It was a gigantic bet and a, for a gigantic amount of money. And he goes, well, just because you're Asian, I want to call just to give you the money. And he calls, and the guy had seven, eight suited for a missed straight draw. Right, and wins like this six six and a half thousand dollar pot, so just a gigantic pot, right? But this guy, all night long, all he wanted to do was gamble. So I like gave him action, and we gambled all night long. He would, you know, he would go all in with four high, five high. I mean, just all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And this right. is probably one of the biggest swings in a game I've seen in a long time. Just a random guy. Just if you give him action, he's just gonna give action right back. So now we're playing a different game. And this guy is an action player, and he finally gets onto the table that's playing, I think, 5 five, ten, right? Okay. And he puts in an all-in bluff. And this guy, you know, it's obviously one of the, I guess you'd call it a whale, right? They show up with tons of money to play. They're going to play all night long, right? Multiple bullets. Okay. And he goes all in. The guy calls him and makes him show his hand. He won't turn over. So embarrasses this fish by making him turn over his hand. Mm-hmm. Then the guy gets up and leaves. Because he doesn't, he doesn't like that, right? Which, I, I mean, I, to, I even told the guy next to him. I said, I mean, you just cost us all so much money, man. I said, that was so ridiculous that he just did that. I said, that's the guy who's going to make this game happen. I told him, I said, just turn your hand over, man. I told him, you need these players. This I said this to him at the table. Yeah. I told him, I said, I mean, you just, I mean, that guy was going to, I mean, this could have been a night we all remember. Now it is. But just for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I told him that was so ridiculous. I mean, and he had like second nuts or something. I'm like, I mean, so. What a, what a complete dick, man. It's just, well, and you know, I've noticed this like a lot of the vlog. Like, I know I think Jamin was the first one to uh, mention it. And he's like, if you flip over your hand and it's good or whatever, it's, you know, don't make the other players show. Like, I mean, like, granted, obviously not in that case. That's the most extreme case where you're just going to lose tons of money from a player. But there's no reason to embarrass embarrass players. If you're a good enough poker player, you can kind of semi-know what they're already playing. Because, I mean, if you make that call and you're good, there's only a few value hands where you're just one-upping and then a couple bluffs. Just... Go with it. I mean, there's no reason to try to humiliate players at the table. One, it, it creates a very weird dynamic. It's keeping it a fun dynamic is so good for the game rather than just like being grouchy, grumbly, or anything like that. It just it's great for the game in general, just to make it a more fun game. Being this, the when players do this passive aggressive stuff, the game it just turns into crap. 
I mean, obviously that was the most extreme example. Yeah, but I was, man, I was so disappointed. That was the first time that that, uh, you know, super VIP player uh, had played in that game or got into that game. Never came back. I mean, just kept playing one three for thousands of dollars. <laughs> God Almighty, what a! You would think like players like at that level would know better, but I guess there's only some who are just you know just that way. <laughs> I guess I mean <laughs> that was basically it for me. I mean, just that story about earlier this week made me think of that story. But other than that, I mean, that was basically all my sessions. Those making that minor comeback, just to, you know. Squeak out. I mean, whenever you think you're leaving with zero, leaving with anything is pretty nice. Oh, 100%. It's, like I, said, I mean, it doesn't feel like as good or whatever, but if you were in for 500 and you were down to 100 and you think you're leaving out for no, probably nothing, I mean, you come back to just lose like 100 or 150, it's the same thing as if you're winning, if you're winning some and you add another 100 and 150. So it's in the long run, it's just as important to limit the losses as it is as it is to, you know, capitalize on the wins. So it's a pretty big win in that in that case. Absolutely. Well, I guess on that note, this concludes the Texas Poker Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time, and we'll see you next week.